Welcome back to the Remarkable Orator Podcast. I'm Anika Apple, and I'm so glad that you stopped by so I could tell you a story. Today's episode is special to me. I have a very good friend, Jerry Brown, who is coming to share her story with us. She's quite remarkable. I know you'll enjoy it. And so I'm excited to introduce you to the creative community connector that is my friend, Jerry Brown. Jerry's a speaker, an author, an artist, a trainer, a caregiver, and a mom of six. Um, We had the opportunity to connect early on in our careers about 20 years ago um, and where we worked together and she also played a really pivotal role in my spiritual walk. as an adult, um, we spent a lot of time uh, learning, or I spent a lot of time learning from her um, and watching her as one of the upfront examples of someone who really um, led and walked by faith. And in this episode, we share some of the stories, some of the things, the distinct memories that I have about examples that she set for me that um, I've carried with me quite honestly through my life. I also had the opportunity to have an up close and, and, um, upfront view of what it was like for her as a mom um, before I had children. And so um, again, just another way that she's had such a great impact on my life is watching her and learning some of the things about um, the way that she approached motherhood and um, that I've incorporated into to my own um, thinking and perspective about what it takes to be successful in raising children. Um, so I have just an enormous amount of respect, admiration, and gratitude for her. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about who Jerry is. So she's the owner of the Right Start Administrative and Consulting Services and is also an owner and artist of All Things Creative, LLC. Jerry um, is an alumni of the DeKalb Neighborhood Leadership Association, um, and she served as a, in a leadership capacity for multiple organizations and advisory boards across the past 20 years. She was called to ministry early on in her 20s, and she's a licensed and ordained minister of the Christian gospel. And she served in, within the church in many different capacities um, within the community and definitely leads with God everywhere she goes and in every endeavor that she has. She is an entrepreneur. She is a brilliant writer, um, an artist, and an amazing, amazing woman, woman of God um, and mother. Um, in this episode, we talk about the dynamics of what it's like to be a caregiver, how you pivot when life throws unexpected things your way. We talk about the relationship between mother and child and you know the complexities that exist and how much of an opportunity you have to learn um, from your children if you are willing and open. We talk about her path to um, the ministry and uh, we talk about her purpose. Um, it is such a great episode and she has such an incredible story Um, And I am so grateful to have the time with her today. This is a two 
two-part episode because it was so good. It was impossible for us to fit it all into one. Um, And I know that by the time you get to the end of episode one, you will be waiting with bated breath for part two. So without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to my dear friend, Jerry Brown. Oh, my beautiful friend, Jerry Brown. I am so glad you're here with me today. Oh, you are such a sight for sore eyes. I could say the same. I could say the same. And if it wasn't for virtual, of course, we would be hugging for about two minutes before we even started. (laughs) At least, at least, at least. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you on the Remarkable Orator podcast. And um, this is this is going to be a lively conversation because what I know about you, you are a woman of such incredible wisdom, so spiritually connected, so grounded in, in who you are and somebody that I've looked up to for a long time. So we're going to get in and, and storytell, but before I get, I, I just get caught up in this moment, I want to create the opportunity for you to tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do. And then let's get into our stories. Well, you know, to know how our paths crossed is, is I think it's easy for me to start there. So, um, in my early 20s, you know, I had the opportunity to uh, come into the the world of Nordstrom. <laughs> and, uh, yes, Nordy girls. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so to cross your path, you know, it's interesting that you said that you looked up to me because I was just watching you like you are a powerhouse, you know, and to know that we were so close in age and everything, I really um, could appreciate where you were in your season of life at that time. Of course, we were in two different seasons of life. I was newly married, I had children, and, you know, here you are just living this single life, you know, powerhouse in the, in, in your field, you know, and moving up the ladder with Nordstrom and everything, and so I was just like, yeah, like, rooting you on, like, get it, you know, so (laughs) I just, (laughs) so there was a mutual admiration, um, let's just say that, and so, yes, I, you know, here we are years later. Now we're in our 40s. Um, mm-hmm. And I am a proud queen mother of six mm-hmm. children. Mm-hmm. And um, they are all young adults. I have one teenager. Uh, well, I mean, they're teenagers, but 18 and over. Yes. Um, five of them are. And then my youngest is 15. So she has three years left of high school. And I am just like, whoo, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, So motherhood has definitely been a journey. It has taught me a lot, still teaching me a lot. Um, And then, you know, there is the entrepreneurial side of me. Um, Of course, we met at Nordstrom, but I had always had some type of entrepreneurial pursuits going on. And the the older I got, um, the more I realized that it was in my blood. Like uh, there was entrepreneur and business ownership on both sides of my family, my my grandparents, my great-grandparents, and throughout my bloodline. So it made sense. And so you know, it came to be that I kind of transitioned myself out of the workplace and um, at different times and different seasons of life, I would just focus on entrepreneurial pursuits. 
having a big family, of course, there, there were times where family and the household finances called for me to mm-hmm. take up another job, you know, make sure there was a steady check coming in or whatever to contribute. Um, but I never left um, the entrepreneurial world. I've always had my foot in it, my hand in it, you know, something going on. Um, and so now I'm also, the past four years, I've been a full-time caregiver to my dad, um, which was definitely a role that I didn't see coming, um, especially being in my early 40s. I'm 44 now. So this was happening when I was just hitting my 40s. Um, and, and it was just, it was unexpected. It, it kind of took the wind out of me um, with how his health was declining. And we're talking about a situation where I didn't, I had not lived with my father since I was 15. Um, and he had had, you know, challenges with like substance abuse and everything over his life. And so it wasn't, you know, like this, um, this, this opportunity that you just jump in or, or, or automatically naturally comes to you because he wasn't the parent that I knew on a regular, uh, like my mom, mm-hmm. I think, I think me and my siblings would have, you know, dropped everything, you know, to take care of my mom with my dad. I feel like there was some reservation, like, I mean, okay, you know, and, and so <laughs> As a, as a woman of faith, as a woman of faith, God really had to kind of work me um, into that that space and that role of caregiving, um, especially at the level of care that he needed. Um, and so, you know, again, it's full-time caregiving. And when I say that, it is based on the level of care. So he is um, nonverbal, immobile, you know, he cannot do anything, you know, without my assistance. And so um, it's definitely been a change of life, um, most definitely. And at the same time, again, I can only say that it's, it's been in God's strength. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when people commend me on caregiving and where I am with my dad, it's like, oh, it's God. Believe me, it's God. <laughs> because Jerry Danielle is not doing this in her own strength. So um, yeah, and I, I'm an artist, I'm an author, I'm a poet, I am um, an administrator. Uh, there's a lot of different, I'm an investor. Um, I've partnered with other women. I, I'm really excited about women in business and black women in business and entrepreneurial uh, uh, pursuits and collaborations. Um, so my brand, you know, when I'm out is the creative community connector. And, and that just really kind of uh, sums it all up, you know, as far as me as a creative, um, who I am as a community advocate, and then just being a connector. I love to connect people to purpose, um, to empowerment, um, to the, the path that they're looking for, you know, when they feel like they can't find it. And some would say, oh, that sounds like a coach. Okay, well, I don't take on that title at all. Um, <laughs> However, comma. Sometimes I'll throw in consulting. I'll, I'll say consultant. Um but I don't have an interest to take up coaching or anything. I do find myself in that space at times with my clients. Um, and that's, I feel like that's more from the, the faith-based side of me um, and, and the, the, the space in me that calls to empower and encourage other people. Um, and so when I am sitting there with someone and we're talking about a project or something they want to do, yes, sometimes it goes past my skill set you know, because the gifts stir up, you know, but that's what happens when you are, when the synergy is there and when things are happening, whatever I'm meant to give in that moment, I'm going to give 
whether it's from my gifting or whether it's from my skill set. Um, and so I move in a very organic way. Um, I'm, I'm a eclectic entrepreneur. Um, so I don't do it by the script that you may see people out there working. Um, I've had people tell me, oh, you are doing way too much. You need to focus on one thing. Well, I'm, that's not how I was made up. That's not who I am. And I wouldn't be true to myself if I just focused on one thing. Um, I am blessed to be one who has been gifted and skilled on both sides of my brain. And so, you know, to not acknowledge or move in one or the other would be to cheat myself of, of, of fullness of life. Um, so there's a lot of pieces, but I'm here as your sister friend. I'm so happy to be reconnected. Congratulations on your podcast and this journey that you're on. Um, congratulations on motherhood and everything else that life has brought to you. So I'm, I'm here as a sister friend and um, ready to just have this conversation and to catch up. Well, I am so excited to have you. And it, it's funny to hear you say that people tell you to focus on one thing. I'm like, have you met Jerry? Like, really? <laughs> no, no. Because even back in our days at Nordstrom, I can just remember you being like, well, I think I'm going to try this. And I'm like, I, I remember seeing the first time I saw something you painted and I was blown away. I was like, I don't understand. You need to quit now. And like, that's what you should do. And like, if you, for the listeners, if you've ever met somebody who just has magic in their fingertips, like, I don't know how else to explain it, but it's like, what they touch just turns to gold. Like that's Cherry. It's it's amazing. Every project is better because she's on it. And it's and I do believe it's what you said about the blessings of, of really being skilled on both sides of your brain. It's like, you know, you can you you have all of the logic and sensibility and practicality. Um, fierce financial wisdom is, is what I remember because you taught me a lot of things and I was like oh yeah I need to be like yes yes let me get my finances in order like you know and then at the same time the creativity and whimsical nature of how you move it's like it's just it's beautiful to watch like butterfly is the image that's coming to mind right now I don't know why that is but like that's 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 just how I how I see you. Um, and please don't ever listen to the people who say you're doing too much because I think as long as you have breath in your lungs and an energy to do those things, you should be giving those gifts to the world. Oh, yeah. That's what you're intended to do. Most definitely. You know, I think when you're young and you're impressionable, you hear those words and you sit back and question like, oh, well, maybe I am. And so I do remember a season where I attempted to stop one thing and focus on one thing and telling myself, okay, let me get this off the ground and then I'll come back to that. And I, so I know, so now I speak from experience. I speak from wisdom. I speak from my full voice when I say that, no, that does not work for me. <laughs> that does, that does not work for me as, as a creative entrepreneur. It is, um, my makeup. It is an innate movement for me to be able to create. And whether it is creating, like you said, in logistics, yes. Project management, creating someone's vision or bringing life to someone's vision, that is creative space for me. 
you know? And so there's times where the two come together because a visionary is telling me, yeah, I want to make this event happen. I want to do this. I want to do that. And I can see the whole thing. And I can see the people they need. I can see the logistical side. We need this. We need these type of people. We need trainings. We need, you know, things in place. But it's all, to me, uh, the masterpiece at the end. And so whether it is administratively project management, I'm creating a masterpiece, or it's literally on canvas, or upholstery, or ceramics, but it is the creative that's in me. It is how I was I was created to be. Like, that's just who I am. You, you definitely have a gift to orchestrate. <laughs> Like that is that 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 is what it is. And for all of you listeners out there who struggle with, you know, I need to do this as a means to an end. And I also know that I am passionate about, you know, doing something else. I think I feel like Jerry just gave you license to figure out how to do both. Yeah. And I think what I would submit to you is that you can decide that at some point you're going to give up this, like what you think is what you're supposed to be doing and just do what it is that you love to do. Mm -hmm. um, if we do more of that, we bring all of our full gifts into the world like you are. And um, I appreciate you you sharing that part of your story. Yeah. Um, so, so Jerry, I want to talk about ministry. Um, so in, in, uh, Jerry talked about how we met at Nordstrom and, you know, for me, it was a really interesting season of my life. I had just moved, um, from New Jersey to Atlanta and we, uh, we actually opened a store together yeah. and we actually ended up working in HR together. And I just, I remember being really new to my spiritual walk when I met Jerry and I was so grateful is Jerry. And we had, an, uh, we had another coworker um, and her name is Angela. And those two, I promise you, I was like, they were like my spiritual mother and sister. Like I was just so grateful to have them on my journey and ministry it, it takes its form in so many different ways in your life. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you found yourself on the path. You recognize the call that, that you had on your life and what you have done with it, how you have allowed it to blossom over time. Oh, oh my goodness. Um, so I'm originally from St. Louis. I was born in St. Louis and um, spent my childhood through the age of 15 in St. Louis, Missouri. And my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, my dad's mom was very instrumental in um, exposing me. <laughs> I'm gonna be careful with my words, uh, exposing me to church and the church community. Um, and so I, um, every ch when it fit in the schedule, we were at church on Sundays. Um, there were times because we moved a lot, me, my siblings, my mom, um, my dad, um, because we moved a lot, there were times where we didn't live close to the church that my grandmother went to. Um, and so it, it, you know, from season to season, just however it worked out, um, we went to church as often as we could go. And it was always prompted by my grandmother. Um, and anytime we were over in that area, you know, she would make sure to say, okay, I'll see y'all on Sunday, you know, and make sure, you know, her words were out there. Um, and it was, and it was a Baptist church. Um, and I still call it my home church to this day because that is where I 
again, I was exposed to the church community. And so um, traditional Baptists, you know, we had to be in skirts and pantyhose and um, you did not even consider wearing shorts or pants as a young lady going to church. That was not a thing. Um, I remember being young and there was an outfit that was given to me. It was a yellow suit and it was a skirt. <laughs> So it was a skirt in front, but it was shorts in back. And then it was like this yellow blazer that kind of hung mid thigh. And so here I am thinking I can get away with it. You know, uh, I think I was 11 or something. And I just loved this yellow suit. It was so bright. And I realized like I loved colors even as a child. So Punky Brewster was my girl. I loved how she just brought <laughs> all the colors together. <laughs> so um, I but yeah, I loved it. I had this bright yellow suit. And so I am going to wear it to church. And when I tell you, my grandmother stopped me and was like, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. <laughs> so I grew up in that type of church community where you don't chew gum, you don't talk, you know, you are paying attention um, and you wear pantyhose and you wear skirts or dresses. And that's that. Um, that is law. Mm -hmm. And um, it's what I knew. And I uh, realized when I when we relocated to Atlanta, Georgia, when I was 15, um, there was a young lady who we're still friends now had invited me to her church. And, um, you know, my mom was busy getting life situated. Um, our move to Atlanta was her separation from my father. Okay. And so, you know, here she is trying to adjust to, you know, three teenagers. She brought three teenagers. It was, I was 15, my sister was 14, my brother was 13. So getting life, you know, adjusting to life in Atlanta, Georgia. So needless to say, church was not where her mind was at the time. And that's fine, you know, but I had a girlfriend who invited me to her church and when I went I was like my mouth dropped open because uh these women were in sundresses you know they had sandals on with their feet out and, and you know and this was how they went to church <laughs> and it was such a culture shock to me because all I knew is what I knew you know from from the church that I was in and um I experienced a liberty that I wasn't expecting to experience just in how they were dressed. And um, I asked a lot of questions. I was like, so, and it's just okay? I mean, cause I, I didn't realize how much um, I had been conditioned to, you know, dress and behave because of how my upbringing at the mm. church, at my home church. And I realized just even seeing women's shoulders, like I didn't realize that that was a thing, but it was a thing that I had brought with me from my home church that women don't show their shoulders. You know, you wear a shawl or a blazer or a sweater. And so to be in Atlanta and just realize like, okay, the climate is different than St. Louis, you know? And so, yes, they don't wear pantyhose because it's too hot for pantyhose. <laughs> and, you know, they wear lighter fabrics and all of this. So, so that was the first cult church culture shock that I remember experiencing. And then I was just in a different space because she invited me and she was very heavily involved in her church as far as like youth ministry and singing in the youth chorus. And, you know, I was just like, wow, I was kind of fascinated by her activity and her dedication to church. Um, and again, comparing to what I had known, you know, we as kids just kind of 
played, you know, um, when, when church was out. There was no structure as far as like a children's program or a children's department or youth department or anything like that. Um, and so being at this church um, and experiencing and just kind of watching her really um, affected me in my high school years. And then I went off to college and um, during college, I got pregnant with my son and I didn't have too much um, church engagement when I was in college. Um, there were, I tried to, I went to an art college in Savannah and I tried to connect, um, but it was just different. I, I just didn't find a church that really resonated. And so in coming back to Atlanta to have my son again, I started working at Nordstrom and got invited to a church in Norcross, Georgia. And that church, for some reason, I think it really, I say it all the time, I credit motherhood to me being in a space to receive God differently. Um, mm. Becoming a mother um, and being responsible for another life um, made me want to be a better version of myself. And so I remember sitting you know, getting this invite from a coworker at Nordstrom and sitting in this church service. And I just heard it differently. I just heard the message differently. Um, you know, I wanted a Bible. I had never owned a Bible up to that point. Um, I wanted my own Bible. It was just different. And um, we were invited. We got that in invite June of 98. And by August of 98, by the end of that summer, I was walking up to the front of the church and rededicating myself to Christ. And um, it was, to me, I say rededicate because that's the term that's used in the church. But for me, it was my first experience of knowing him for myself and really acknowledging him for who he was. Now, when I look back over my childhood, I realized he was always there. Um, I remember being scared of the dark. And I would pray when I would get in the bed that God would put a bubble around me and protect me from the monsters in my closet. And he reminded me wow. of that. When I came across the scripture that wow. talked about he will never leave you nor forsake you, that is what he reminded me of. I was there even before you knew who I was. Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't, I don't even remember saying God. I'm saying God now as I retell the story. But I just remember saying out loud like, please put a bubble around me and keep me protected from the monsters in my closet. And I would go to sleep. And that's the only way I could go to sleep is when I verbalized those words. And um, it was in my early 20s in reading the Bible for myself, coming across these scriptures that I realized had already manifested, the word had already manifested in my life. Wow. And I didn't know it was the word. Um, and so that is when it became real and it was a real relationship that was developing. It was no longer that. And so that's why I use the word exposed to church community, because I was not, um, I didn't have a personal relationship with God. That didn't happen until my early 20s. Um, to be exact, I'm, I was 20 or 21, 21. In 98, I was 21. Um, and, and, and so that's when my journey began. I was 21 and um, I ate the word up. I was amazed at how easy it was. Uh, I was understanding it and how much revelation I was getting. 
And um, I was just in a space of really wanting to, to know God for myself. And, yeah. and there was a part of me that was a little angry. Like, how is it that I was going to church all these years and didn't have this understanding? Like, what was the preacher saying all this time? <laughs> Why didn't I get this, you know? <laughs> but again, understanding, um, you know, scriptures that talk about, you know, that it is, it, the word is living and active, you know? And, and so it's always evolving in our lives. Uh, you know, the more we read it and as the seasons change in our life, you know, we could read the same scripture in a different season of our life and mm -hmm. it's going to say something different, different, a different yeah. revelation from it. And so again, you know, getting over the initial surprise of like, wow, this is, this is, why wasn't I getting, this is not what I heard. You know, like I remember having those conversations with myself, like this ain't how I took this scripture when I was younger. I, I remember, you know, but again, and, and just sitting and embracing the fact that I'm in a different season. I'm in a different season. I'm hearing it differently. My, my spiritual eyes, my spiritual ears are open now and ready to receive the word at a different level. And then the scripture that talks about, you know, when we're babes, yes, we take in milk. But as we become mature, as we mature in the word, as we mature in our relationship with God, we eat the meat of the word. And so, yes, there it was milk. I was getting bite-sized pieces when I was younger and when I was less understanding of who God was and what his word was saying. But the more I opened myself up to grow in him, the more he fed me. Mm -mm -mm. Oh, was um and by 2004 we were and I say we I was actually married at the end of 98 um and so we were kind of in the journey together as far as growing in the word and growing in ministry and connecting ourselves to you know the church as far as um you know a church that really cultivated family atmosphere um because mm -hmm. we both had children coming into our marriage and then we had children together and so we're a blended family. So that dynamic in itself, just, you know, um, setting a foundation and an atmosphere of how are we uh, defining our household? What does this look like as far as how we're going to rear our children and, you know, um, our church practices and, and those type things. And so there was a lot of creating happening in that season as far as just um, building what family looks like, what a family of faith will look like um, with what his experience was with church, what my experience was and where we were in that season. And, um, and so a lot of those earlier changes that were happening faith-wise were kind of happening sim simultaneously for both of us. And so in 2004, um, we were being spoken to, approached by the ministry we were with about becoming ministers. And I really shied away from it. I was just like, eh, that's not for me. That, mm -mm, no, I don't like Ooh, that. that sounds familiar. Mm, I don't <laughs> <know about> that. <laughs> and and um, so that was my initial response. Like, nope, I don't want no part of it. And I was speaking from my experience. I was speaking from, you know, those that I had crossed paths with, those that I had <laughs> met. Um, and, and some who I had met who carried that title or carried other titles of faith leadership didn't rub me right. You know, like I didn't like the arrogance. I didn't like the way they carried their title or the way they demanded, you know, that others use their title. And so my impression of ministers, my impression of clergymen were, was not one that sat well in my mouth. I had a bad taste in my mouth. And so I shied away. 
And um, I went into a study about minister. I went into a word study um, and really broke down, like, what does that look like? God, what are you saying? And um, coming into the understanding that minister means servant. Simple as that. Minister means servant. And it was so simple and so practical. It was like a, a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. I can do that because I know I'm a natural giver. I am a server. I've been a yeah. server since I understood what it meant to give. That's yeah. when the revelation hit me that, oh, so this is what you created me to be. This is who I am. Because even in my younger years of being exposed to church community, that was the first thing I was exposed to. When my grandmother would call the children forward, it would be to serve. She would want us to sing for Easter. She would want us to read a poem for a special occasion. She would want us to, you know, hide the Easter eggs for Easter or, you know, dye the Easter eggs. Or for me, because I was an artist, she would want me to like draw the posters for the bake sale. So I knew what serving was. Mm -hmm. That made sense to me. And so to know that simply the definition was minister means servant, okay. Yes, I can do that. And so we were licensed and ordained as ministers in 2004. Um, and then, of course, you know, with, with, with church uh, understanding, the more you get in, involved in church, the more you, <laughs> you, you come to understand the bureaucracy that is there. And so um, when we would transition from ministry, when the seasons would change and we would transition in ministry, then we realized, oh, we have to do this again. You know, and, and, and that's when it's like, okay, that's contrary to the word. You know, I mean, the word says what's, what's done in heaven has, you know, has already, I mean, what's done on earth has already been done in heaven. And you know, if we're bringing our credentials of being licensed and ordained. Why are we doing it again? <laughs> so uh, to say the least, we've been licensed and ordained three or four times um, oh, over, wow. the years, over the past 24 years. <laughs> so. Wow. So, so that in itself has been, you know, uh, something to chuckle at because I realize again, you, you, you start to realize what it is to have a relationship with God and what it is to practice religion. And, yes, and they're um, not the same. And they are not, they the same. are not the same. They are not the same. Um, but again, when you make the choice to be a part of the church community, you also are making the choice to follow the protocol. You know, and with that, be respectful of the protocol, understand, you know, what's required of leadership and everything. And so graciously, um, now I've always, I've always given my, my leaders a run for their money. Like, let's talk this out. What are we really doing? You know, I, I've always been the one that's kind of been rough around the edges. Um, but I know that God made me that way. You know, um, I was initially licensed and ordained as an evangelist because of my, my heart and my passion to reach the people to mm -hmm. teach the people, to, yes. um, you know, to show them what I learned at 20. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you thought you knew God, but wait, did you know this? You know, and I was excited. I was excited about the word. I was excited to get people to see what I saw. And, um, and so evangelist is um, what I embrace. Um, when I think about the titles that I've taken on over the years, I've been licensed and ordained as a pastor. I've been licensed and ordained as a minister. And so again, with the different ministries, with the different churches that we've been connected to, the title has changed. Um, but I do feel um, when I think about 
the definitions, again, when I think about the definitions and the call, the one that resonates me with me the most is evangelist. Um, yeah. because of that idea of being out there with the people, engaging the people, empowering the people through love, through love, simply through love, not Bible bashing anybody. You know, I ain't telling you, you going to hell. I'm not that evangelist, <laughs> but literally engaging the people through love. I, so yes to everything that you just said, um, you absolutely are an evangelist. It's as you were talking, I could remember us sitting in my living room and my, in my very timid way at, at being such, you know, so, and so early on in my, in my adult walk, cause similar yeah. to you, you know, God had been present. Um, and I now understand things that I was doing back then that I didn't understand and why I was doing we'll come back to that yeah but I remember asking you like help me really understand tithing like I I, I kind of know what I'm reading but I don't know if I really understand it and there was a re there was a particular reason that I asked you you mentioned um just about being a giver and I can remember watching you so into people that had fallen on hard times mm -hmm. I can remember you you and you, I, I can remember you as a couple buying a dress for me. You remember that? There was this dress that I was in love with and I just could not financially swing it because I told y'all that I was not as financially savvy as Jerry was. And they surprised me with it. And I just remember bawling. I was so blown away. And because I also knew that they were parents, uh, you know, and, and always trying to really focus on building towards their future. And I just was like, you can't do this. Like I'm, I'm out here single, like spending money on going out and like hanging out and you are running a family. Like, how could you do that? And Jerry said to me, because it was a blessing to be able to see to give something to someone else and see the joy in them. And I never, I never forgot that. I remember that conversation where we were standing in the office and I was blown away by that. But I thought about how I watched you always pouring into and giving into others. And it's just, it again, it's one of the things I looked up to in you. It's like, you just always found a way to have something to give to people. And it may have been wisdom, knowledge, your time, you know, or one of your many gifts, um, but I was blown away. So I was like, here's somebody who would just pour out of whatever they have. And I mean, like, I knew Jerry to be like, I got 10 cents left and here's nine of my 10, maybe 10 of my 10 and I'll just figure it out. I'm going to find where, you know, I, I have enough to be able to get through like that kind of giving. And I'm like, and you never miss tithing. Mm. So help me understand that. <laughs> and I tithe I, and I, and I don't play, I tithe. Yeah. And it comes, it comes from understanding that you helped me to have sitting in my living room. Mm, wow. That's so you were an evangelist because, because I, I have seen you reach people. I've seen you pour out love of God to people. And you certainly did that in, in my life, but I just, ah, oh, 
Yes, that absolutely is one of your many anointings, but for sure it is. And you, and you described it just right. You do pour it out through, through love. It's beautiful. Amen. Thank you. Oh, let me tell, I told you all this is going to be a great conversation. So I want to dig into something that you said earlier. And I know that this is, this is top of mind for you. Um, but you were talking about, so you very clearly articulated as being exposed to church early and then really getting to know God and to know who he really was very, very similar, very similar in, in my experience as well. It's like, you can even be singing the, the old hymnals and they're different. Yeah. Like, I mean, I could remember singing Amazing Grace, which was a beautiful song, probably one of my favorites, but I didn't understand it the way I understand it now. When I sing that thing, the tears just start to fall because I know what God has brought me through and that God would look amidst the earth and have time for me, little old me. Like I, so I know what you mean. Help our listeners understand the shift that happens when you build a personal relationship with God because I feel like there's so much for so many years our eyes have been covered by believing our relationship was through a conduit in the church talk about that it's so crazy that you just said our eyes were covered because in you asking the question my answer was always already coming to say it's like your your eyes open for the first time so it's interesting that your eyes are covered because that is the same analogy that i can relate to it is like your eyes are opened in a new way um you realize and and i've i've often used this movie to explain it too if you can remember the movie with jim carrey where he discovered that he was living in uh, a TV show. The Truman Show, I think. Yes, the Truman Show. So that to me, I I got so much revelation watching that movie. And, And it's still the same way when I look back, The Matrix, the same thing with The Matrix, that idea of being programmed and conditioned in a certain way. When I say being exposed to the church community, you are being exposed or introduced to a culture. You're being exposed and introduced to a way of life, a way of moving um, practices, rituals, ceremonies, you know. Um, and so you're conditioned to live that as, as children. And then when we talk about even children being born into the world, you know, we're, when it says that when the Bible says we're born into sin, you know, we're born into the, the hands of our parents and whatever their culture is, whatever their lifestyle is. And that is the beginning of our conditioning to this world. And it's not until we come into true revelation and understanding of the word for ourselves that we can see with our spiritual eyes beyond the world that's been presented to us. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that I discovered it when I did, you know, stepping into my adult uh, life because it became embedded and grafted in everything I did as an adult. Um, and that's not everybody's story. Um, 
I, I'm just so thankful. Now, of course, I know people who, you know, received that revelation in their teenage years or their childhood. And, you know, I'm just like, wow, I wish, you know, I had a clue, <laughs> you know, um, um, but I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that my season came when it did. So the biggest um, change for me or the way that I would explain it is that your eyes are open in a different way. And you can see beyond your circumstances. You can see beyond, again, you can see beyond the teaching that may have been taught to you. Um, a lot. There were so many times where in me reading the word that the understanding that I got was just so much more in depth and so much more complex than how it had been taught or how I received it. I can't even say how it had been taught, but how I received it as a child before I really came into my knowledge and my relationship with God. I was baptized at 11. You know, and some people say when you're baptized that you receive the Holy Spirit and you are officially saved. And I know for sure that was not, that was not my story. I knew <laughs> when I look back, I know at 11 that um, my family, my grandmother specifically was expecting me to at some point come to the front of the church and make the decision to be baptized because that is traditionally the practice of what was happening. And so that particular Sunday, um, I just feel like all eyes were on me. You know, I felt like, oh, okay, I guess this is my, I guess it's my turn type thing. I can look back and know that that is where my thought was. It was not a prompting by the Lord. I know what that feels like, <laughs> but I didn't experience that type of prompting until I knew him for who he is in my life. Um, and so I, I went up and I was baptized, but I, I can truly say that, you know, that, that was, I was probably just getting a little bath, you know, uh, now that I can look back because <laughs> it was not a spiritual experience for me, <laughs> you know, um, and so I explained that, and, and in my practice in ministry, when it was my turn to assimilate new members, when it was my turn to talk to parents about their children, because I have been throughout the spans of, of ministry as far as the different um, areas that I served in. And so I did serve in the assimilation ministry, the new members ministry. I've taught orientation. I've taught the understanding of tithing and giving. So it's crazy that you brought that up. Um, and I've also had to coach parents through that idea of them coming in. I want my child to be baptized and having to counsel them and say, well, it's not really your decision though, you know, and, and in love, getting them to understand what that looks like. Baptism is the outward expression. Baptism is like putting on the wedding ring. Baptism is the way that we show the world we've made a decision for God and for Christ. And, and so if your child doesn't understand Christ, if your child doesn't understand what they're doing, it's all for naught. Absolutely. You know, and being able to have that conversation <clears throat> with love and teach at the same time so that the parent walks away understanding and nodding their head and saying, okay, so my position, what I need to do is pray that my child gets an understanding, pray that in the midst of them, in the midst of me sending them off to children's church, in the midst of me entrusting the youth ministry, you know, that my child would get an understanding of the Lord and make that decision for themselves, you know, and it's so much more rewarding as a parent 
when that day when that day comes when your child makes the decision and says I, I know who Christ is when they can answer the question for themselves and when they can make the decision clearly for themselves. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, and again, because of church practice, some, you know, some of us haven't experienced that. I know my grandmother was probably excited. <laughs> Unfortunately, I just know it was not attached to a, a spiritual prompting. Um, it was very much a practice. Um, and, and what I had seen and what I had been conditioned to know to do. Um, it's funny, Jerry, because I, I think about like when I got baptized, I was young as well, um, close, close to the age where you were, but mine, it, it truly was me. Like I, I, gave, I decided to give my life to Christ and I, um, had, had experienced, some um, sexual abuse early on. And I know that it is God that carried me through and I knew who God was. And I just remember the, the feeling I, I always express as I was walking down to give my life to Christ. It was almost like I floated down the aisle, like just joyful because I just, I was like, I know I can only get through this if you bring me through. Yeah. And my parents, neither of them were there. This happened at my grandfather's church in California, where which is one of my two home churches. My grandfather's church in California, my grandmother's in Mississippi. Those were my churches. Vacation Bible school. I spent every summer, you know, a little bit of each summer with both. Yeah. Um, and I, I was fed because we didn't go. We didn't go to church um, regularly when I was growing up. Both of my parents grew up heavy in the church, and then when they became adults, they're like, "We will go." when we are ready like they 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 were they kind of grew up in that forced to go um great relationships with god but they had they were just in this place burn that was out. different burn out and yeah yeah and i and i i didn't quite understand it cuz i knew when i went to church i was like oh thank you there's something else right like and i and again looking back i can see how god was playing such an incredible role in my life i didn't i just didn't connect all those dots but they were upset that I gave my life and they weren't there to witness it. And I couldn't understand it. I was like, I mean, I thought she would be happy. Like, and I didn't do it for anybody, but because I literally was like, I need you to be there to be my strength. Cause I don't know how to get through this without. And I don't know how I can tell you that at that age, I was able to understand it. Yeah. Other than through spirit. I just, it's like, I just knew because it wasn't logical, right? Yeah. I wasn't going to come into that room and stop whatever was happening. Right. But yeah. I just, I didn't know where else to trust and I knew to trust God. And so, um, but it's interesting when you, you talk about how counseling parents, because I do think we all want our kids to be okay. My, both of my children have watched this chapter of my spiritual growth. They've known me to be someone who, you know, went to church, passionate about God, believe in God, share, pray, teaching them how to pray. Um, but they've really watched the evolution over the last year. And both of them have said that they've talked to me about being baptized. And I'm like, yeah, no, not ready yet. And they're like, what do you mean we're not ready yet? And I'm like, you'll know. Because I never want it to be, I don't want it to be about gaining approval mm -hmm. from me 
from anyone in the church or anyone in the family. It genuinely needs to be, I just know this, this is who I ride for, for the rest of my life, period, end of story. And once they're there, all good, right? But we have, we've experienced, I want to call it a contrived relationship where intended or unintended, people have been led to believe that their relationship needs to come through the church. Now, trust me when I say I love my church mm-hmm. and my church family and my pastor, Mike Seven Ministries, Dr. Nicole B. Simpson. They are amazing. They are a wonderful church family. And they are different because what my pastor will tell you is that you have to have your own relationship period. Like it's, it is an expectation. You need to spend time in the word. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to spend, spend time talking to God. It can not only be what you get for me Sundays and, and prayer and Bible study. You are expected to have your own relationship. I feel like we need more of that happening in churches where our, you know, pastors and, and ministers are calling people to that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, most definitely. Um, I, you know, because of my experience um, as a child and feeling like I had been cheated of understanding, (laughs) you know, uh, coming into my 20s, I very quickly, actually, yeah, we both um, began offering Bible discussions outside of the church. you know, meeting at Waffle House, meeting at a coffee house, wherever there was a table. And it was more to break down the word and really get an understanding. And for me, I felt what I came into the understanding of is that church was for the assembly. Church was for the fellowship of the saints. Um, It was not for us to get in-depth understanding. Um, And that is where Bible discussion became just as important as Sunday service. You know, I was, you know, very adamant as far as understanding the word and the word saying, don't forsake the the assembly of the saints, don't forsake the assembly. And so, yes, we, you know, Sunday services was a thing. We made sure to, you know, have our our family in church on Sundays. And that same, um, that same call or that same passion was there to host Bible discussions as well and Bible Bible studies. And so we would host some where it was men and women and co-ed. And then we would host some that were just women. I would do an all women's Bible talk. He would do an all men's Bible talk at different locations um, because I knew very, very early in the marriage and very early in my understanding of the word that the way a woman receives um, a message or a verse how she digested, like we're all taking in the word based on our makeup, based on our lifestyle. Um, So our gender, our roles in life, me being a mother and a wife and a black woman in the world, like all of these things dictate how I receive the word, how I digest it and how I apply it to my life. Um, And so that became you know, the the, the piece that we acknowledged, um, you know, in the family to say, yes, there is a conversation that's had where we get an understanding as a family and apply it to our family how in our household. But then there's a piece that I need to understand mm-hmm. for me and you mm-hmm. need to understand for you. And I feel like other women that look like me need to understand it 
the way we need to understand it. Mm-hmm. And so, and so that was that was just as big as church service, if not bigger, um, to really get an understanding. And so sometimes the Bible talks and the Bible discussions would be prompted by whatever the verse was presented, whatever the text was presented in Sunday service. And then there were other times where we would be led to to go somewhere else, you know, or or piggyback on where we were the week before. But it was I I, I in that season. I enjoyed the Bible studies and the Bible talks more than I enjoyed church because I felt like church service on Sunday, I was giving of myself. I was giving to the people. Bible study and Bible talk and Bible discussions, I felt like is where I was being poured into, where Mm -hmm. I was getting understanding, where I was growing in the word and growing in my relationship. I love that. I love it. And it's interesting because when you talk about the role of women, there is a significant shift in the the way that we are seen and the way we see ourselves or the role that we are acknowledging, creating. I don't know what the right word is for it, um, but I, that evolution is so incredibly important for us. Um, I talk a bit about the divine masculine, divine feminine, and how this is our season um, to really stand up and 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 lead in in the way that brings about the balance that was intended when the world was was created. And so it's it it makes so much sense to me that you would share about that being so enriching for you. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know if there's anything else you want to share on that topic in particular. Oh goodness. I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I find my, I, I keep trying to like find a stop because again, the way we're talking can continue on and on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is typical for us. <laughs> There's a time frame in this. Um, but yeah, it's just the, when you get the revelation of being in relationship with God, is when you understand whether you show up at church or not, you are going to have a good time in the word. You could be driving down the street and an inspirational song comes on and you are in church in that very moment because while you are in fellowship with God, you are in a place of worship. There's been so many times I have had the best worship services in my car where I have had to pull over and literally throw my hands up, tears falling down. I couldn't drive if I tried to, you know? Um, And and that only comes from a very intimate place, a very uh, uh, close connection with the presence of God. And yes, we can experience that in a church service. Yes, we can uh, uh, experience that in the fellowship of the saints. I'm not saying we can't. What I'm saying is, you know you have a real relationship with God when you can experience that outside the church. You don't need the walls. You don't need the drummers. You don't need the musicians. You don't need the choir. When you can get to that place, just being in the presence of God in your own space. You could be walking down, you know, taking a nature walk by yourself. When you can be, and when you can transition into the Garden of Eden and have a moment, 
the way the scripture talks about Adam could walk with him in the cool of the day. That is where relationship resides. Because we are the church. Yes. Because we are the church. Yeah. It's not a building. It is within us. Yeah. Wow. Such a great part one of our our episodes with the remarkable Jerry Brown. I'm so glad that you joined us today. And um, I hope that this conversation has given you just a ton of, of energy and also some great opportunities for self-reflection. Before we go, I, you know, I always like to end the, the podcast with a moment of gratitude. And today's gratitude is for the connectors. I mentioned in the beginning that Jerry is a connector um, and just my energy for people who are connectors um, and the impact that I believe we make in the world. Um, Malcolm Gladwell is is known to have kind of popular, made the term popular um, when he wrote the book, The Tipping Point. And what he described connectors as are some are people who know many people. They're people who go out and have a really easy time connecting with others, making friends, keeping in contact with them. Um, you know, so just just that that ability to know a lot of people in a community and then make introductions. And if you think about it, the people who are connectors have such a significant ability to impact and influence things that happen in our lives. Without them, we may never meet people who we were intended to connect with. Without their obedience, I would say, um, or and recognition or discernment about who should be connected with who, without their um, cognizance of what people say verbally and non-verbally, what they do for a living, what they are passionate about, what energy they have, they have an uncanny ability to be able to connect the dots, to see the, the threads coming from one person that would connect to the thread of another. And because they exist in our world, because they pay attention, because they master this ability, this innate ability to connect with and keep people connecting, we all have the blessing of having our lives interwoven with people who we were intended to meet. Um, the connector's role matters because when they can see the potential for what can come out of a connection that they're making, they create that belief in the two people or more that they're connecting. So think about an example where someone said, hey, I want to introduce you to this person who knows how to get this thing done, whatever that thing may be. And as they connect you, you go in with the expectations that the person is going to be able to solve something that you identified needing support with. Likewise, when they are preparing that person for the connection, they're setting the stage that there's a need that they are going to be able to fulfill. Both come into the connection with the optimism that this connection will be fruitful for both of them. They'll be able to receive and or deliver the things that they are destined to give. And so the connector's ability to do that creates 
purpose for the connection as people are linked together. And the more and more that they do that, the bigger and bigger the impact on the world. I can think about in this moment about a couple of friends of mine and old co-workers that I introduced that are best friends to this day. I can think about people who I've connected that have gone on to marry each other. I can think about people who I've connected that have built business partnerships or people that have been able to unlock funding for others. There's the, there are so many examples of the way in which just listening and understanding who people are and connecting them to one another has enriched their lives and will have an impact on the lives of others. People who won't even know that that connection influenced maybe a product or service that they might use in their daily life. So today's gratitude moment are for the connectors. Thank you for seeing people for who they are, for seeing the value that they bring, their unique value proposition that they bring to the world, for listening to their stories, for hearing what's behind it so that you understand their purpose, and for thinking enough of them to connect them to somebody else in your network. We need you to continue making those connections happen. Thank you again for joining me on the Remarkable Orator podcast. Again, my name is Anika Apple, and it is such a pleasure to have you come in and listen to the story. I look forward to seeing you again next week when we continue on with part two of our remarkable conversation with Jerry Brown. See you then.